0: Cycle Nation Podcast, recorded January 24th, 2009, Episode 4. Indian is back. Myrtle Beach is not, and an interview on winterizing your motorcycle, all coming up on Episode 4 of the Motorcycle Nation Podcast. Hey everybody, Bullet here, coming to you from a long layoff between episodes, and for that I apologize to you. We got the interview done this week, and we just haven't had time to finish up the rest of the recording to get it out to you, so let's not delay this any farther. Let's get right into the news. Indian Motorcycle opened up a new 40,000 square foot, manufacturing facility in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. Indian is trying to come back for the third time. And the new owners, Stephen Heese and Stephen Julius, were also the owners of Chris Craft, who they also brought out from the ashes. And they are looking forward to bringing Indian back to be a prominent motorcycle in the American motorcycle culture. The base model Chief Standard is going to go for $30,000 And the high-end model motorcycles that Indian's going to sell is going to be up in the $36,000 range. Kind of a tough, tough way to go in this economy. Let's just uh, give them credit for trying and hope that they can make it. This is the manufacturing facility and the first dealership, which is in Lowell, North Carolina, are built and up and running. And this is the first of a planned 50 dealerships here in the U.S., Are you a geek motorcyclist like me? Do you like Facebook? Have you got a MySpace? Try Chopper Town Nation. Chopper Town Nation is a new social network for motorcyclists. They boast free video and photo uploads, chat, forum, and even have a job board. The first three days of Chopper Town Nation, 3,500 photos were downloaded, and there was over 100,000 visits. If you're looking for a social network that caters to your needs, try ChopperTown Nation at choppertownnation.com. You want a chopper, but you don't want to spend $25,000 or more? Check out Honda's new 1,312cc Fury motorcycle. I've seen pictures of it out of the International Motorcycle Show, and this motorcycle is sweet. So if you're into metrics or you want a chopper but don't want to pay the money for the high-end bikes... You've got to check this one out. This bike is stretched and mean and it's got plenty of power with a 1,312 cc engine. Want to check it out? Check it out on a really cool website at powersports.honda.com slash furyreveal slash pound slash home. That will also be in the show notes. You want to check it out. Now for a little news out of Australia. Motorcyclists in Australia are debating the registration of the Free Party, which stands for Freedom Rights Education Environment. The purpose of this group will be to fight against legislation such as that just introduced in South Australia, which is strict anti-bikey legislation, which has been introduced allowing organizations to be banned and people prevented from associating with criminals. It sounds like a very close cousin to our very own RICO Act here in the U.S., Maybe we should try to get something like this here in the U.S. so that we can have a motorcycling president. That would be pretty awesome. A bit of strange news out of Lubbock, Texas. A police bike hits officer. police officer is doing a traffic stop on a car when a car tried to pass a line of slower cars, hitting the police motorcycle, causing it to lurch forward and run over the officer. I'll bet that's a great workman's comp claim. From here, we're going to move on to a little bit of economy news again. I read this week that Harley-Davidson was down 58%. The shares are the lowest than they have been in 12 years, and Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania is rumored to be working on trying to get some bailout money for the struggling company. The American company is going through some rough times, but it's been through them before. Let's hope they can come out on the top side again. A large focus coming out of the international motorcycle shows is cheaper, more fuel-efficient two-wheelers. For example, one of the big debuts at the International Motorcycle Show this year is two models of the Vectric Scooter that sell in a price range anywhere from 5000 to $8,500, and they have a range of 55 miles and up to 62 mile an hour top speed. A lot of people are opting for this option, even though if you're in the five to $8,500 range, you could buy a very decent motorcycle for that that gets in the 40s to 50 miles per gallon. So... I guess these are really geared towards those who are more environmentally conscious. And finally, to start wrapping up the news, Myrtle Beach has told the bikers, stay home. The 69th annual Bike Week, which is to be held May the 8th through May the 17th, was in jeopardy of being canceled because Myrtle Beach decided they didn't want the bikers there. Myrtle Beach Harley-Davidson, along with the business owners in Horry County, got together and decided that Bike Week was going to go with or without the town or city of Myrtle Beach. They claim that there's 60 miles of Grand Strand, and Myrtle Beach is only a small part of it. So if you want to go to annual bike week this year, head on down to South Carolina. Horry County is going to welcome you. And this year, the new name of the Myrtle Beach Bike Week is the Cruising the Coast. So if you're going down, have a great time. Just stay out of Myrtle Beach. Don't spend any of your money there. In other news about towns against motorcycling, Tiny Prescott, Wisconsin, population 4,000, is debating having motorcycle ordinance due to loud motorcycle pipes in their town. The town of Stillwater, which is very close by, did this a couple years ago, and there are towns dotted all over the United States that want to do the same thing. We have got to be responsible riders and make sure that we don't do anything that disrupts the regular daily life of other people. In other news relating to responsibility, the California Highway Patrol had to unclog traffic this week in Diamond Bar. A large group of motorcycles were blocking traffic on the 60 by blocking all the lanes running 30 miles an hour. What were they blocking? They were blocking all the lanes so their friends could do stunts up in front of them. This resulted in two speeding tickets, 27 aiding and abetting speed tickets, and six impounded motorcycles. Who won this one? not us. Remember, be responsible every time you throw your leg over your motorcycle. That's all I've got for you for the news today. And on today's episode, this is going to be the first interview ever conducted on the Motorcycle Nation podcast. I'm pretty excited about it. We recorded it earlier this week and it all deals with winterizing your motorcycle. So stick around. We'll be right back. I have Susan Rentschler here. She's the service manager at Cycle Outfitters Limited in Indianapolis. Today we're going to talk about winterizing your motorcycle. How you doing, Susan?
1: Good. How are you, Steve?
0: I'm doing just fine. Uh, I want to start out today by asking you how you got started in motorcycle maintenance.
1: Uh, well, I got started, I, um, I guess I should say, from the beginning. Um, my dad was a huge influence. He restores the original Indians from the 1920s and 30s. And then he also worked for Chrysler. So I was around a lot of mechanical things um, growing up. So I always had a vested interest, but never really knew that motorcycles was specifically what I wanted to go in. Um, I went to uh, Purdue University for engineering and and still didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, So living in Indianapolis, looking for bike parts, I happened to wander on to the Cycle Outfitters premises, where I think that day they asked me if I wanted a job and uh ten years later,
0: here I am so. <laughs> <laughs> amazing story. Walk in and uh they just grab you and you're you're at to work already
1: pretty much yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how it went
0: <laughs> that's pretty funny so did you uh have any formal training or, or have you learned everything on the job?
1: No, pretty much um I think just from what I had initially um from what my father taught me, and then I'm pretty much self taught um along with experience and um, former coworkers and and my boss Rick um really i mean i kind of developed a, an idea of motorcycles and the rest is just myself taught so no no formal training um just really have a knack for being able to pick things up very quickly and figuring figuring things out myself so
0: now knowing some of uh Rick Chup's background the owner of cycle outfitters um did he happen to uh know your father beforehand or
1: oh no not at all Uh, my father's from michigan and down here in indiana um he was really never just because indian motorcycles is a very specific group especially the original ones um unless you're really into that field you you probably wouldn't hear about my dad very much um so no he knew really knew nothing about me except that you know that i came in and, and knowing the lingo and he probably seemed like i knew what i was talking about at the time so
0: okay so i do i do know that uh Rick is a big fan of older motorcycles. Just didn't know if there was yes. any correlation there or not.
1: No, he's really into the uh, original Hondas. Uh, he worked for Honda back in the day, and so Hondas was his thing. So he never really got into the older American motorcycles. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. That's a cool story. Um, if you had to pick one type of motorcycle that you like working on, such as like a, a dirt bike versus a, a street bike or whatever... What's what's your favorite?
1: Um, my favorite, really, personally, it's probably sport bikes. Um, I started on small cruisers um, when I was 15. Uh, started on a little 250 Rebel and within a month's time worked up to a 1200 Sportster. Um, then really started getting into racing, um, AMA racing, World GP racing, and then um, got my first sport tour. I had a honda vfr 800 um, and really like the speed like the position um, started riding on some track days doing a little bit more aggressive riding um, and then really i've been into sport bikes ever since so just because of the way i you know my riding style i really tend to gravitate towards sport bikes but really for what i do at cycle outfitters since we're not a specific dealer i get to work on every kind of vehicle And, uh, it makes, you know, have, you really have a lot more experience under your belt than a typical dealership technician.
0: That's it. I know know a lot of people that come there because a lot of the dealerships don't want to work on some of the bikes you actually work on.
1: Oh right. Yeah. And a lot of dealerships don't even work on bikes that are even five years old. I mean, a lot of times within that range, they won't even look at you if you have a, you know, eight or 10 year old motorcycle.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty sad, but that's the way it works right now. Yeah. But, um. Good for us, though. That's it. One of the reasons I wanted to get, get you on was uh, a lot of questions that I get when I'm teaching a bait classes and, and just in general from the community of motorcycling is how do we winterize our motorcycles? I wonder if you could uh, talk about that for a couple minutes.
1: Sure, definitely. Winterizing, um, in my opinion, is, is very important. Um, a lot of times a little bit of preventive maintenance really goes a long way when you're itching for the first warm day of spring, you go to turn your bike on, and it doesn't start, or doesn't sound good, or you know something's going on. Um, so there's a few basic things, very simple, that I teach a lot of people that are you know brand new riders or people that really want to get into their own maintenance and don't really want to um, spend a lot of money at a dealership winterizing. Um, first, I definitely recommend um, doing an oil and filter change. Um, what you want to do, you know, and there's a lot of myths about whether you should change it. The beginning of spring or at the you know very beginning of winterizing. Um, the reason for this basically is because there's a lot of moisture and detergents in the oil itself, and you really don't want it sitting in the motor very long. Mm-hmm. So that's one myth. Um, let's see. And another basically is to go over is there's a lot of carbureted vehicles and there's a lot of fuel-injected vehicles, um, and this is a, a definite winterizing must. Um, a lot of carbureted vehicles have gas, which sits within the carburetor itself. Um, so really what you want to do is get some kind of fuel or uh, gas stabilizer and make sure that the gas that's within the carburetor itself and within the gas tank itself will withstand the stability over the wintertime because it can varnish very, very quickly.
0: What um, um, As far as a fuel stabilizer... What's your uh, uh, stabilizer of choice?
1: Um, really, there's a lot out there, both automotive and motorcycle. Um, the very typical one that comes to mind is just it's called stable. It's uh, very common in the lawn and um, like the lawn care industry. Works very well, stabilizes the gas for quite a long time. Um, it's really not my preference, but in a pinch it'll do just fine. I tend to use them on my like riding lawnmower and, and uh, weed eaters and stuff like that. Um, we sell what's called Klotz Octane Booster, and it acts as not only a gas stabilizer but a fuel system cleaner and an octane booster in itself. So in my opinion, if you're going to use some kind of gas additive, you may as well get something else out of it and also kind of clean your fuel system um, while, while you can. Um, and then there's another product um, that Spectra Oils came out with, it's called an SC. It's a, not only a gas stabilizer, but it's also a lubricant on a lot of Kawasaki motorcycles. It can be very corrosive within the uh, carburetor area, so it tends to be a, another preventative maintenance tool. Okay,
0: so probably the two most important things are the oil and the fuel. Correct. Yeah, um, that
1: that really ensures that you know you're going to not have any varnish in the gas and also old, you know moisture within the motor itself.
0: Okay, now protecting that battery, I know Cycle Outfitters sells a great product, uh, battery tender, which I have actually bought three of them there. And uh, you do suggest those, right?
1: Oh, yes, definitely. Um, a battery that really is not maintained even after 30 days can start to discharge on its own. And uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the battery prices recently, but uh, they've really gone up some 40 50%. Um, So really, keeping a battery maintained is not only good for the bike itself, but good for your pocket. Um, What a battery tender does is it acts as if the the battery is in use. It lets it kind of get a little bit low and then brings it all back up without overcharging. So you can actually leave this battery tender on indefinitely without overcharging the battery.
0: For those people that, uh, some people like to continue riding a little bit in the winter, uh, those places where it's possible... Is there a a difference between winterizing for total season storage and winterizing knowing that you might get the bike out and ride it a few times over the winter? Or you pretty much do the same thing?
1: Really? I mean, you really want to do the same thing. I mean, your your biggest issue, like we said before, is fuel and oil. Um, It's good to keep your fuel tank filled all the way. Um, You really don't want to leave any exposed metal because then you can have some rust um, start inhibiting your gas tank and such like that. So really... I mean, if you're going to ride it every now and then, still the same thing, you want to make sure your your fuel has stabilizer in it, the gas tank is full, um, the oil is in decent shape, um and you have a battery tender. So if you have one, and it really all you'll have to do is, you know, pull in the garage and because it's a nice quick disconnect pigtail on the battery, you can just plug it in and go. Um so really there's really no difference between a long-term storage and short storage except for things like um moisture itself like you want to make sure that the tires are fully inflated to the correct tire pressure Um, you want to make sure that the tires aren't sitting on direct concrete because it tends to wick away moisture so if you can park it on um, its center stand or carpet or cardboard box just to keep the moisture away from the tires is really the only thing that would be any different so
0: wow that's uh that's something i had never heard and i didn't know that part myself so
1: yeah really i mean for bikes that are stored i get a lot of people that say hey i'm putting it in a storage facility I'm not going to be able to ride it for two years you know what do you recommend well i mean if a tire's sitting on that cold concrete in one spot well it's going to really prematurely wick away the moisture in that area so it's just good you know like i said preventative maintenance and so ensures that you have proper um maintenance on your vehicle to uh you know do like i said a couple little things that really don't cost a lot but that'll benefit your bike
0: in the long run now i'm one of those people who do like to ride in the winter if as long as there's not snow on the ground right because i do have my tour master synergy gear that i did buy at cycle outfitters um one of my big questions has always been what should we do about our oil weights in the winter
1: um really around indiana um most motorcycles run in a, a ten forty weight, which is basically a, a viscosity that's ten in the summer and forty in the winter. Um specifically, um you really don't have to worry about the oil itself unless you're gonna go to really extreme parts of the country and then you're gonna wanna vary the viscosity of your oil.
0: If somebody's running synthetic, it's is it the same principle as you just told me?
1: Correct, yeah. The the weight itself it's it's really the difference is the detergents and okay. the lubricants that they put in there. So the weight itself will be the same and, and whenever in doubt, please call a local dealer or us or consult your owner's manual for the, the proper viscosity weight that your motor requires.
0: Now, once that motorcycle sat there all winter and we're getting ready to get it out in the spring, uh uh-huh. what what's do you suggest um doing in the spring? I've heard like you you probably should change your oil again because it's had condensation, et cetera. Um, what are your suggestions?
1: Yeah, I usually recommend um, if you're going to store it in a, in a decent area, I would have some kind of dust cover or bike cover to prevent any moisture um, that might be on the bike. So you want to take off the bike and make sure that you don't see any excessive condensation or or, or moisture of any sort. Um, but really then, yes, um, oil can um, obtain moisture just from sitting. Um, that's why I usually don't use a high-performance oil like a synthetic if I'm going to be putting it up for the winter, just because it's kind of money out of your pocket. And there's a, another myth about going back and forth be, between synthetic oils and regular mineral oils. Um, I usually run synthetic oils during the riding season, and then put a, just a regular mineral oil base while it's sitting over the winter time, because that's an oil that I'm going to just be, you know, flushing out fairly quickly. But, yes, I do rem- uh, recommend changing the oil right with spring um, and then basically doing a checkover. Get familiar with your motorcycle and check your tire pressure. Check your brake fluid levels. Um, you know, make sure your battery is plugged into a tender. And if so, then you should be ensured that you'll have a, a good start. But you want to check turn signals, you know, everything that basically makes the bike stop and go. Uh, you really wouldn't want to pull out of your driveway and run down the road and realize that you have a, a mechanical issue.
0: Great advice. Um, got one more question for you. It's not really on winterizing, but it's uh, it's one I've heard many arguments on. Buy a motorcycle. The motorcycle has tires on it from the, the uh, manufacturer, basically, whoever they've contracted with to, to build their tires. And you go in and you decide you want a better set of tires, and cycle outfitters put you a better set of tires on. What tire pressure should you run? Should you run what your motorcycle owner's manual tells you, or should you run what that tire tells you?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um get that all the time. Yeah, um, your owner's manual and a lot of times the stickers that are on the bike itself will give you a recommended tire pressure. But that tire pressure is specifically for that set of tires in which the manufacturer put on there. Once you vary, that really is a, um, a recommendation that is no longer fitting for the tires that we just put on your bike. Um, But every manufacturer will have a max PSI rating on the sidewall of the tires. It really, if you just look on the sidewall, it'll say a max load with a max PSI rating. So just as to make simple, you can always just, for ease of of remembering, just go a couple pounds under your max tire pressure. So, for instance, if it says 42 max PSI, I usually run the bike at 40 PSI, and that's just an easy way to kind of remember where you want to, where you want to be but it all does depend on load itself if you have you know one passenger two passenger and things like that but always refer to the side of the sidewall itself or give us a call and you know ask us what maybe a recommended tire pressure is for your um weight and what kind of bike you have
0: susan yeah one yes i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead
1: oh no i was just going to say um So pretty much once you get a new set of tires, unless you go with specifically the exact set of tires that your motorcycle came with, it will be a different PSI.
0: All right. Well, I just want to thank you for being on the Motorcycle Nation podcast tonight. And um, I'll make sure that I put out Cycle Outfitter Limited's name to everybody and give them their address and phone number. And hopefully they come see you. Great, Steve. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. I thank you if you're still here, I want to thank you for being here. I know it's been a long podcast this evening, but we had a lot of great content and a really good interview with Susan. If you're in the Indianapolis area, Cycle Outfitters is located at 5501 South Madison Avenue. Phone number is 783-2901 locally. You can reach them at 888-783-2901 if you're out of state, or you can find them on the web for online sales at www.cycleoutfitters.com. Don't forget to check out the blog this week at mcnation.podcast.com. Tell all your friends to show up. And we appreciate everybody that comes out. And I do want to tell you guys to watch out down the road because we are going to have to get our own domain soon. You guys have shared enough with your friends and they've started coming and checking us out, downloading the podcast, reading the blog. We're running out of bandwidth on the site. So the free bandwidth is going fast and we're going to have to get our own domain. Stick with me, pay attention to what's going on, listen to the podcast, read the blog. We'll tell you where the new feed's going to be at. We will stay in iTunes, but those of you who are downloading straight off the blog, we'll give you that address where you can find us coming up soon. It's great having you all here, and stay safe this week. And until next time, I'm Bullet. See you later.